Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning and welcome to Fellowship Bible Church. My name is George Olmstead and I serve as one of the pastors here on staff. And today I have the privilege of sharing God's word with you. And I really mean that, the privilege of sharing God's word with you. So how many of you were able to complete the Proverbs challenge? All 31 days, all 31 chapters, anyone? Awesome, man. A lot of hands going up. That's really good. We want to encourage you. If you missed any of those uh, opportunities, they're on our social media pages. You can go back. You can continue to read through the book of Proverbs. We'd encourage you to do that all throughout the year. But I know this. I, I really feel like uh, that I gained wisdom by participating in that challenge, and uh, the Word of God, Proverbs, spoke directly to my heart, and I hope that it did the same for you. Well, this morning, we conclude our series in Proverbs. It's entitled, Wisdom for a Well-Lived Life. So what you do, I want you to take your Bibles, I want you to turn to Proverbs chapter 3, that's going to be our text, and while you do this, I want you to answer this question for me. How many of you have ever used a compass? Anybody ever used a compass? Now, I know it's really hard to raise your hand and turn to the Proverbs 3 at the same time, but you passed this morning, so A+. plus. Well, a compass. I really have never been in need. Uh, I've never put my place, myself in a place uh, to need a compass, except one time. Uh, junior in high school, tenth, or sophomore in high school, 10th, 11th graders were all around, and we, our youth group went up to the Wichita Mountain Refuge up in Lawton, Oklahoma. I don't know why they call it mountains. It's really hills, but... We went up there, and what we did is we decided to climb a mountain. And so we had plenty of time, so about 10 or 12 of us take off, and we're up the mountain, and we decide, all right, it's time to go back down. And so we did what we thought you should do, turn around and just go back down the mountain. Well, after descending the mountain, we realized we didn't just turn around. We actually went over the backside of the mountain and wound up looking at a very unfamiliar place that we had no idea where we were. So as a bunch of... 10th and 11th graders, we turned that into an adventure and, of course, didn't admit that we were wrong or that we needed a compass. But at the end of the day, we know this. What is a compass used for? A compass is used to provide direction. It's actually uh, a device for determining direction by means of a magnetic needle or group of needles turning freely on a pivot and pointing to the magnetic north. So a compass provides us direction. Now, the unfortunate thing about a compass is we know at times that it actually can be wrong. And how does it wind up wrong? Well, when it's manipulated by other magnets or other means. And what happens when a compass is off, even by just a few degrees? The person who is using the compass will find themselves where? Far away from their initial destination or their intended destination. Well, many times in life, almost on the daily, we find ourselves needing a compass to navigate through important and at diff- times of difficult decisions and choices. So when these arise, we want to make sure the compass we are using as our guide points us in the right direction. And for all of us, we really can't afford for that guide to send us in the wrong direction. So the question is this, is there even a compass out there that can help us consistently make the correct life decisions and choices? Well, for the believer this morning, you know the answer is yes. As a matter of fact, you have it sitting in your lap or you're holding it in your hand or you have it on your phone and you scroll to Proverbs 3. The the perfect compass to help us consistently not only make the correct decision and choice, but more importantly, make the correct decision and choice based on wisdom gained from the Lord. So what is this compass? It's the Bible. 
Now, this compass, the Word of God, it's, it's never wrong. This compass cannot be manipulated. It can only point each of us in the perfect direction. And because we have access to this compass, we can become a person who embodies wisdom. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Excuse me. As a person who embodies wisdom, we, we want to be a person that can make wise and correct decisions and choices according to God's word, according to God's will, and according to God's way. Now, before you make the decision this morning to go, I've heard this before, I've got it, I want to remind you, God has us in Proverbs 3 on purpose for us to be here to listen to. And as I was writing this, I had to stop myself from going, oh man, this is familiar, this is familiar. I had to say, wait a second, God, what do you want me to learn from this this morning? And can I tell you, I gained a lot. And I want to encourage you to do the same this morning. And before we get into our passage for today, it's, it's vital for us to understand the Bible is the foundation in gaining and growing in wisdom. If you truly desire this morning to be a person who embodies wisdom, you must find yourself doing a few things. The first thing we see this morning is that you need to be studying God's Word. Studying God's Word. That sounds simple. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Psalm 119.11 says, Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. How do we know what sin is and what sin is not? We know it from studying God's word. Charles Rice states this, The Bible is the greatest of all books. To study it is the noblest of all pursuits. To understand it, the highest of all goals. Not only are we to be studying God's word if we want to embody wisdom, but we also need to be submitting to God's word. And, and right next to submitting God's word there in your sermon notes, just in parentheses, write the word will. W-I-L-L. Underline it. We'll come back to it in just a moment. James 4, 7 says this. Submit therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. 1 Peter 5, 6 is, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. Dwight L. Moody says this, Let God have your life. He can do more with it than you can. That's some great wisdom. But here's the thing about submitting. Submitting is humbling ourselves and coming under the authority of God's word. We don't want to miss that. When we study God's word, we're going to understand that his word has authority and we're submitting ourselves under his authority and his word. But not only do we want to study God's word, submit to God's word, but we also want to surrender to God's word. And right next to surrender to God's word, I want you in parentheses just to write the word way, W-A-Y. Highlight that, underline it. We'll come back to it again as we come back to the word will. But Matthew 16, 14 through 25 says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Romans 12, 1 and 2, as we've already read this morning. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, 
that which is good and acceptable and perfect. It's that attitude of what we just sang. Christ be magnified in me through the altar of my life. Erwin Lutcher says this, you become stronger only when you become weaker. When you surrender your will to God, you discover the resources to do what God requires. So this submitting and surrendering, it's actually two separate things. We, we study, we submit, but then we surrender. Surrendering is denying ourselves the pursuit of the flesh while being transformed to pursue the way of Christ. Isn't that exciting this morning? I don't know about you, I get tired of giving into the flesh. Oh, but I love pursuing the ways of God. And I hope that you do as well. So now we have this truth, this understanding, a little mini-sermon within the sermon there. That God's Word is the foundation for gaining and growing in wisdom. So it's now at the forefront of our mind. It's at the forefront of our heart. That the Bible is the foundation to where we can learn how to embody wisdom to make the correct and right choices and decisions in our journey of life. So let's dig into Proverbs 3, 1 through 12 this morning. Our text this morning shows us this, that God's word will always point us in the right direction. So a a person who embodies wisdom always goes to the word to seek God's will and God's way in every decision and choice in life. So we see this, that the Bible is going to point us in the right direction in many different aspects. And so as we walk through Proverbs 3, verse 1 and 2, we start with, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For the length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. So what we see here is the Bible will always point us to morality. Solomon is providing this parental instruction here, and it begins with the most important instruction any parent can teach their child when he states this, Do not forget my teaching. What, what teaching is this? Is this is actually Solomon's own teaching? No, no, no. He's saying, wait a second, no. This is the teaching of Scripture, specifically the law of God. Solomon taught his son many things. You and I, we've taught our children many things. If you don't have children yet and you are able to have them at some point, God will allow you to be teaching them as well. But the most important thing that we will ever teach our children is to point them to the truth of scripture. As a matter of fact, it was so important to Solomon that he says, listen, I want you to, to keep my commandments. That's the law of God. We find it in the Torah, also known as the Pentateuch, Genesis through Deuteronomy. And we know Solomon is referring to this because he states, but let your heart keep my commandments. Many times when we think of the law of God, what does our mind jump to? It jumps to the Ten Commandments, right? Thou shalt not have any gods before me. Don't make any graven images. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Honor thy father and mother. Don't kill. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness against your neighbor. Do not covet. And that's only 10 out of the 613. But here Solomon is instructing his son, do not forget these. Keep them in your heart. Why in his heart? Because out of the heart flows the issues of life. Out of the heart, our mouth speaks. Out of the heart, our actions take place. As a matter of fact, in Genesis 1, we're told that we are created in the image of God. In Romans 2, we're told the law of God is written upon our hearts within 
our conscience. So unfortunately, due to the sin curse, what do we do? We wrestle against biblical morality. We all do it. But we understand this, that we wrestle against that desire to pursue righteousness and holiness, and it's trumped by that desire to pursue the flesh. And and we don't want to live that way. As a matter of fact, we've been saved not to live that way. So when we meet Jesus, when we are saved, when we repent or forgiven by Christ, what do we gain? We now have hope to resist sin. We have hope to flee from unrighteousness and unholiness, and, and we have hope to pursue wisdom and which will help us make biblically morally moral decisions and choices. Right now, what do you think the number one enemy against biblical morality is? Well, it's actually social consensus. Whatever the culture dictates to be moral is what the culture is going to follow. It's even crept into the church. In areas such as inerrancy of the word, the affirmation of sin as a whole, specifically in the hot topics of the day, such as homosexuality, gender identity, adultery, living together outside of wedlock, divorce. Or how about this? Let's just be really, really concise. The appearance of evil in any form. Folks, we don't have to go into the world to see that. Unfortunately, we can come into the church and find it. And here's what Solomon's saying. Hey, hold on a second, son. Remember my commandments. Remember my teachings. Keep them. Hide them in your heart. The Bible will always point us against social norms of the culture. Because what is that social norm of the culture? It's to do what? To please self, right? I'll just please myself. And then I'll be happy. And then everybody else can do whatever they want. But wait a second, now I'm not just happy enough for me to get my way. I want you to get my way because if you get my way and I get my way, then I'm God. Boy, the, it's so important for us that as the Bible points us against social norms, the culture, which is desire to please self, we must follow the fact that it points us to biblical morality in which we deny self to please and worship the Lord. The promise here in Solomon is living out biblical morality will lead to a long life of peace. Some of you are thinking, wait a second, I, I'd really do that and I don't have a lot of peace. Well, let me, let me tell you what he's saying here. This is not speaking to a life with no issues nor problems. Instead, it's allowing us to understand that we can become a person who embodies wisdom and as we follow and apply the word of God, we can make the wise decisions and choices we need to and here's what's going to happen. With those wise decisions and choices, it's going to bring a peace along with a confidence in the Lord that we can do it His way. I don't know about you, man. When I, when I have really surrendered and submitted to God a decision and a choice, let me tell you, man, I'm confident in that. Because it's His. And what I get to do is walk through that confidence with peace, or that decision with peace. Many of us have made decisions and choices in life, me being one, where I've walked through it with anxiety. I've walked through it with disappointment. I've walked through it with, with this, this urgency. Instead of just saying, no, God, I'll walk through it with peace because I know it's yours. I've done both. I've experienced both. So have you. And which one will we conclude is the better way to walk this journey in life? With peace. 
So the Bible will point us to morality, but in verse 3 and 4, we see it will point us to kindness and truth. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. So this kindness written here speaks from the term hasad. It's a, it's a mercy granted to and extended to the lowly, the needy, the miserable. The truth written here is the truth of Scripture. And so what's Solomon doing when he's writing this? He's, he's stressing the understanding that mercy and truth go together. They're, they're interwoven. You can't have mercy without truth. You can't have truth without mercy. They, they go together. As a matter of fact, this mercy and truth is what we receive when we are in need, when we are miserably lost in our sin and in need of God's salvation and forgiveness and his grace. As a matter of fact, when we experience this mercy and truth from Christ, guess what that enables us to do? We can now live it out towards others. Solomon says we're to tie this mercy and truth, bind them and tie them around our neck. Do You know, throughout Scripture, we see mercy and truth bound together over and over again. The binding around the neck is, a, is this. It's a picture to hold these virtues close so that they're never forgotten, but more importantly, they're never letting go of. When we, when we bind them around our, and tie them around our neck, they, they lay upon our chest deep within our soul. When we bind these around our neck and write them upon our heart, we're being instructed to let these take hold deep within that soul so that it becomes a natural outflow of who we are in him who are we in the lord and and who are we towards others that's what this mercy and truth is all about as a matter of fact verse four so you will find favor and good repute in the sight of god and man this means that others will recognize the competence and intelligence of the wise individual when you're living out mercy and truth somebody says there's something different about them And we get to do what? Magnify the name of Christ by saying, yes. I don't live in this all the time. I bet you some of you today or this week probably had the option to be unkind to somebody if I was guessing. Yes? But you know you weren't unkind every time, I hope. If you are, this part's really for you. (laughs) But no, here's the deal. You also acted upon the kindness when it wasn't deserved. I hope that's more who we look like. And that person's life was thought of, they go, hmm, why did they treat me so kind? We love this, that the Bible points us to morality, kindness, truth. But in verse 5, we also see that it points us to trust in God. To trust in God. Trust the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Boy, trust is that bold confidence in the Lord. It is the believing promises of God. It's saying, I believe in them all. And in all circumstances I face, I'm going to trust him, even if that circumstance seems impossible. Listen, we're to trust the Lord. Why? Because his will and way are always perfect. So where do we find the rub? Where do we find ourselves a lot of times? We find ourselves wrestling against trusting in ourselves versus trusting the Lord. 
And this is why we must carry this out with what? All. Circle that. It should already be circled in here. All our heart. Our heart must be completely submitted and surrendered to trust in the Lord in the way we are instructed. Many times we find ourselves lacking trust because we we figure we can just do it through our own understanding. But what does Solomon caution here? He doesn't only caution, he cautions with, with great sternness. Do not lean on your own understanding. What's been a theme through this series in Proverbs? Wisdom for the well-lived life. And wisdom is to be gained and grown in. And right here we see the perfect opportunity to put this wisdom to use. Trust in the Lord in everything. With everything. So everything will be according to His will and way. I want to share something. I woke up this morning um, and uh, was looking on social media and I come across the post from one of my friends. A lot of times on Sundays I look at the social media posts. There's a lot of encouragement going on because folks are going to church, preparing for the Lord and all that great stuff. And so it's, it's kind of energizing to me. But I came across a post from one of my seminary professors um, and it just jarred me. He, uh, one of my favorite professors, I love going to his class. I mean, I didn't get to be in his classes very much, but I kind of built a, a little bit of a friendship with him and we speak on occasion but he was one of those guys that just made seminary fun, like just made it fun going to class and really challenged you to learn. And So he has a special place in my heart that he probably will never even know. But I, I was scrolling in, and it reads on his social media page, um, please be in prayer. I passed out at the wheel of my car, and when I woke up, my wife and daughter had passed away. My heart dropped. In that moment, and you've been there when a friend loses someone, and you're like, man, what, what can I say? What can I do? And a lot of times, there's not a lot to say or do. So I began to pray, and I simply just sent him a private message, and I said, hey, Mark, you stated that you're feeling a lot of guilt. And I said, hey, Mark, I want you to, I can't give you a bunch of words, but I can give you some scripture. So I happened to be preaching on Proverbs this morning, and Proverbs 3, 5 is where we find ourselves. I said, Mark, I, don't, I can't tell you what to do, but that guilt's not yours. And you have to lean on this. It's Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. And fortunately, he wrote back, thank you, George. I've been thinking and praying through that verse all morning. And I, and I point that out because you might not be facing that type of destruction this morning. You might be just deciding... Man, what's my next step in my career? Or what's my next conversation in my marriage? Or, or, man, how am I really supposed to raise these kids? Or maybe you're behind on your bills or, or whatever it might be, and you're just trying to figure it out. And the first place we need to turn is where? Proverbs 3, 5. We've got to trust that God has a greater plan and a greater will and a greater purpose than what you and I can ever figure out on our own. Trust in the Lord in everything, with everything, so everything will be according to his will and his way. And Solomon continues in this verse when he tells us the Bible points us to seeking God's will. 
He says this in verse 6, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. You know, in the last two verses, what word have we seen used over and over again? All. All. So this allows us to understand there is no room for hanging on to even a little bit of our way or our will. Did you get that this morning? There's no room for it. Verse 6 instructs us to acknowledge the Lord. So what's that saying? It's making the choice to invite God into our everyday life and conduct. It's to practice the presence of God in the regular and sometimes even the mundane things that happen every day. So when we do this, we assure ourselves of seeking His will and not ours. And the promise here is that the Lord will make our path straight. And this is what we as believers truly want, isn't it? To be along His path, not ours. I don't know about you guys, maybe you've never struggled with seeking God's will, but for me, that's kind of where I was in college. Um, I've been to college a couple of times. Sorry. First time wasn't so good. Do you know why it wasn't so good? It's because my priorities were messed up. Not only my priorities were messed up, I truly wasn't seeking God's will. I, I was trying to figure out a way to, to marry a certain girl, not Sarah, so that didn't work out. I was trying to um, try to become a teacher and a football coach. That's what I really wanted to do with my life. And I learned real quick that I didn't like education classes, so I didn't do real well in them. So I wasn't able to really continue in that program. (laughs) I found myself with a lot of credits towards no degree. Yeah, it's it's funny now. (laughs) Wasn't funny on the pocketbook, but, you know, no, I get you. I'm I'm the same way. I I, I used to joke all the time. But here's the thing. The great thing is this, is when I started seeking God's will, and I kind of knew what it was, I just didn't want to do it. When I was seeking God's will, I knew he wanted me to to spend time in ministry. I didn't know where or when or how long, but once I just simply surrendered and submitted and said, all right, God, I'll I'll go try this ministry thing. And I went to Bible college and seminary. You know what? I never had one issue in a class. I never had one issue of getting up and going to class. You know why? Because I'd sought God's will. He put me on the right path, and there was a joy that abounded. Listen, we've all experienced situations like that. I hope that you haven't, but I'm sure that you have. And when I think about how God put me on his straight path and the direction it's taken me, it hasn't been perfect. Oh, but it's been perfect according to him. And so here's the thing. One of the most frequently asked questions among believers is this. How can I know the will of God? In principle, Solomon gives us a wonderful answer here in Proverbs 3. Decide to put our trust in the Lord. Decide to not trust in our own understanding, but give attention and priority to God's revealed word. Decide to acknowledge and honor God in all that we do. It's not a lot. But what it does take is it takes a humility, it takes a submission, it takes a surrender, it takes studying the word, it takes seeking his will. The Bible points us to seeking his will. In verse 7, it points us to obedience. Verse 7, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. You know, every week in our series, we've mentioned or addressed this idea of fearing the Lord. It's a reverent desire to honor God in every aspect of our life. 
Fearing the Lord will keep us from doing what? Pursuing the ways of the flesh. And instead it will allow us to live in obedience according to his word. It's that reverential fear. It's that living in awe. It's that desire to please the Father in what we do and how we live and the way we go about life. So it's pertinent that we obey verse 7. Be not wise in your own eyes. Do not be puffed up, but instead live out a humility that allows yourself to be guided and led by the Lord. You remember we talked about that compass earlier and how it can be manipulated. You know at times it can be manipulated up to tw- up and be off by up to 20 degrees? And that's, that's, a, that's a far way from the destination, isn't it? And that's kind of like when we try to use our own understanding or follow our own way or our own, our own will. Sometimes it's not 20 degrees, it's like 180 degrees, like an opposite direction of what God desires. But I want you to be confident this morning that we know the Bible cannot be manipulated. Man can try to manipulate it, but they can't change it. And you and I can't either. It's not going to point us in the wrong direction. So what pulls us away from being able to make the right decision and choice many times? Simply, it's our lack of obedience to his word, his will, and his way. You know, it's our fear of the Lord that keeps us from being manipulated by our own desire to disobey. It's our reverence and awe of the Lord that allows us to obey and to walk in wisdom. You know, I've got a sweet little girl. Her name's Gabrielle. She's six, almost seven. I love her to death. But you know what she's figuring out? Let me guess. Let you guess. What do you think she's figuring out right now? The art of manipulation. How can one minute... I be the worst daddy in the world. But in the next second, I can be loved so much. Hmm. We'll come back to that in a second. I'll tell you why. It's in our next one of our next points. When I think about that, I go, hmm. Is she obeying because she desires to obey? Or is she obeying to get her way? We'll come back to it in a second. Solomon continues this idea in verse 8, showing the Bible points us to physical wellness. It says in verse 8, it will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. God's word is part of our physical wellness. Why? Because sin brings forth stress physically and emotionally and mentally. It actually is what causes us to, to move towards death. And when we live according to God's word and will and way, the stress and effects of sin, it can be relieved. Now, of course, we understand that there are sicknesses and illnesses beyond our control, but, but in everyday living, when we pursue righteousness and holiness, it allows us not to pursue sin and face the consequences of it. Have you ever been around a believer when their time is, is almost up? They're on what we call their, their deathbed. Has, has anybody ever experienced that? I, I've, I've been there plenty of times. And it, it, I love what the power of the Word of God does with a person like that. Their time has come. They're nearing the end. Most time they're in a lot of pain, a lot of suffering. And if you've ever experienced, when you take the Word of God and you just read the Word of God over someone in that state, for the believer, many times you see their body just relax. Sometimes you see a smile that you haven't seen in days or weeks come across their face. You see that pain kind of just settles and relaxes them for just a moment. 
Why is that? Because the scripture is good for our physical wellness. To read it, to live it, to apply it, to be all about it. And so Solomon continues, he says, listen, man, these are some things that God has for you, son. According to verse 9 and 10, the Bible also points us to what? To stewardship. And we don't talk a lot about that here, but what we do is when it comes in the text, we, we mention it and we stick to it. And verse 9 and 10 says this, Honor the Lord from your wealth with the first of all your produce, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. The word honor here is attached to the word sacrifice. We are to honor and sacrifice with our giving. And and God calls us to steward our time, our talent, our treasure, our tribe. And the way we do this, according to Solomon, is by giving our first fruits. It, It takes on this technical sense of offering the best of material things. The principle of first fruits also means that we give God an active anticipation that he will provide all that is needed. We honor him by thinking, I give you the first and the best because I know you will provide all we need. As a matter of fact, the Old Testament Jews brought the Lord the firstlings of their flocks and their first fruits of their fields and in this way acknowledged his goodness and sovereignty. So here's the deal. If you've ever practiced biblical tithing, you've experienced this the firsthand. Example uh, that I can think of right off the top of my head is, is, is a medical bill from the past. We were Drew was about to be born, and we were going through all that process. He's our first child. We had horrible insurance. It's going to cost a lot of money. And so we're making our payments, doing our, paying our bills. And then Drew's born in October. And then uh, about a week or two before Christmas, I go to the mailbox, and I'm like, man, Christmas is not going to be very good this year, and that's fine, no big deal. And I go to the, I go to the mailbox, and something has happened that never happened before and hasn't happened since. But I get a $1,600 refund check from the doctor. Yeah, is that normal for y'all? It's not normal for me. We love all the doctors in our, in, our, in our church. Thank you for doing what God has done and blessed you. But what I'm saying is, is like, I never, I was like, what? It allowed us to finish paying off the bills. We had a little bit extra for Christmas. You know, we just remained faithful in our giving. And I'll be honest with you, I've struggled with that in times in my life, and I'm, I'm sure you have, and I hope that you haven't. But the truth is, Biblical giving and stewardship is straight from the Lord. Straight from the Lord. I'm not telling you you're going to receive blessing after blessing, but that was just one moment that God just, man, George, keep being faithful. You know, when this is an example of just one of many, but, it, but it's not only financial. It's also practiced in serving and sacrifice of both your time and talent. So, so wisdom for a well-lived life will tell you The Bible points to stewardship so you may honor and worship the Lord and experience all he has for you. So this morning, we're looking at becoming a person who embodies wisdom. We've gleaned so much already, but here's the deal. Verses 11 and 12, man, they cannot be overlooked. These verses point, they point us to the importance of discipline and correction. And it's through these aspects that we gain and grow in wisdom. Look at verse 11. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. We must have a heart to receive discipline. This word used here, it actually signifies that correction, discipline, and instruction. Teaching is essentially necessary to show the man the way in which he is to go 
Discipline is necessary to render that teaching effectual. And often, correction is requisite in order to bring the mind into submission without which it cannot acquire knowledge. Discipline is a good and holy thing of the Lord. Here's why. We don't want to be left to our own devices, do we? We don't want to be left to our own thoughts or our own way or our own will. We will get that out of whack very quickly. It's been proven. We'll succumb to the flesh. Not that we even desire to, but it will take place. But it's also proven that the Lord's discipline helps us grow in wisdom so we will not go astray. But instead, we'll make the right decision and choice, not only in the big ones, but in the everyday. So there's the discipline. Remember I was talking about Gabrielle? Most of the time we have those conversations, it's because she's being disciplined. She's disobeyed. And so we are now getting to the heart of, of why is she sorry? Why does she want to say, I'm sorry? Why do I expect her to say, I'm sorry? And here's why. There's been discipline given, which is a good thing. We should have a heart for it from the Lord. But we should also have a heart to receive correction. Far from the Lord, verse 12, he reproves, even as, father, as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. I came across this in my study, and I wanted to share it with you. It's, it's not mine. Verse 12 shows us this. When God either brings or allows some discomfort or affliction in the life of the believer for the good of themselves. Here's what he's doing. He's exposing a sin or evil not previously seen. He's showing the nature of the problem and the need to address it. He's discouraging the previous embrace of the sin or evil. And he's guiding to the rejection of sin or evil and a brace towards God's best. The particular discomfort or affliction could come in many ways. God may do it through the inward conviction of the Holy Spirit. He may, it may come through critics and, and adversaries. It may come through disappointment and souring circumstances. However it may come, listen, correction, it will not feel good. But before God could be allowed to do so much good in the life of the believer, he must correct what is going against him within them. Why discipline and correction? Because he loves us. He delights in us. And he desires the best for us according to his word, his will, and his way. So with little Gabrielle, how do we do that correction? Honey, why, why are you sorry? Do you just want your iPad back? Or are you truly sorry for what you did and what you said and how you said it? God teaches us to speak this way. God teaches us to act this way. And so we want you to know that you don't have to disobey. You can obey. But when you did disobey, there's going to be correction, and we're going to take time to do that. Boy, isn't that the heart that we should have as well, church? Wisdom for a well-lived life. Pursue becoming a person who embodies wisdom. Allow the Word of God to point you in His perfect direction. And let me encourage you, these 10 areas that we listed out of Proverbs 3, 1 through 12, they're just the beginning. There's so many more words of wisdom in the Word of God. You can embody it. A person who studies God's Word, submits to God's will, and surrenders to God's way, will be one who embodies wisdom, and will find themselves making righteous and holy decisions and choices as they journey through this life here on earth. Do you desire to be a person who embodies the wisdom of God through his scripture? Let's pray. God, we love you. 
We thank you to even have this resource of your word to learn who you are, to know how we can have a relationship with you, and how we can gain wisdom in living this life for you. Lord, for the person this morning who for the first time heard that there's hope, that there's joy, that there's salvation, there's forgiveness, we pray that as you draw them, that they will repent and place their faith and trust in you by simply opening their heart and their life, confessing their sin and calling upon you as Savior. For the believer this morning, God, we pray that this series in Proverbs, wisdom for the well-lived life, will point us to the growth that we need in our sanctification that will gain wisdom, will apply it, and others will see it. And Lord, all the glory will go to you. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Would you stand?